Welcome to Future Ed, the show that explores the future of education. I'm your host, Peter Croft. Our guest on this episode is Andrew Powell. Andrew founded Learn to Win, an educational startup which already has over 100 customers in college and professional athletics, as well as the US Air Force and the US Navy. In this episode, Andrew talks about why he decided to form an educational startup, what is unique about their product, and why so many sports teams have quickly taken to the platform. He talks about his dreams for Learn to Win and why the approach behind the product can be applied in many different areas. Andrew talks about the technology behind it and the ways he wants to apply new technology as the product is developed. He talks about the challenges he is facing in a growing company and the impact of the global pandemic. Andrew discusses his influences in the education space and his views on the future of education as a whole. Andrew and his team have produced a cutting-edge product that has the potential to change the way a lot of institutions and companies train their personnel. We hope you enjoy hearing Andrew's insights. Andrew Powell, welcome to the show. Thanks, Peter. Glad to be here. How did you get into educational entrepreneurship? I'd say it's really a combination of my two parents' influence. Uh, so my dad has been an entrepreneur for my whole life, and I've always admired how he has this mindset when you see a problem, he tries to come up with some sort of solution to it, and it's just constantly kind of trying to create uh, different venture opportunities or different ideas for things that could, could make the world a little bit better in some way. Uh, and then my mom actually started a school when I was young, and I went to that school. And going to that school was hugely impactful for me, uh, both at the time I was there, but then in hindsight, I've just realized there's so many things about myself that uh, are a tribute to the education uh, institutions that I went to and how that formed and shaped me. And so uh, when I was in college, I kind of saw these two threads come together into this desire to become an entrepreneur within education, um, because I think education is one of the best vehicles to make the world and societies a better place. And entrepreneurship is this really powerful mechanism to try to enact change out of uh, just creating something new from nothing. And so um, those two things uh, really inspired me to want to devote my career to working in education more from an entrepreneurial lens. So how did you get into your first venture and what happened? And, and tell us the story behind that. Yeah. So Learn to Win, uh, I started about two years ago with my college roommate, Sasha Seymour. Uh, and we saw this opportunity to improve the way that teams and organizations learn using technology. And the, the basic idea was that there's advances in tech and advances in cognitive science that really haven't translated into the ways that most organizations do teaching and learning. And so we built a, a mobile learning platform to improve initially how sports teams learn. We saw this opportunity based on Sasha's uh, experience as a college basketball player at North Carolina, that the methods of teaching and learning within even an elite sports team really haven't changed a lot in you know the past 20 or 30 years. There's still a lot of three ring binders to teach playbooks and coaches drawing up plays on a chalkboard. Um, the traditional methods that people teach and learn, but none of the advances in cognitive science or advances in technology had been translated into that field. And so we thought, what if we could build 
a mobile learning platform to improve the ways that athletes learn playbooks, game plans, scouting reports, all the mental parts of a game, um, would that be something interesting? And so about two years ago, we, we put together an initial pitch of the idea. It was just a, a slide deck with some drawings of what the app might look like. And we went and met with Coach Larry Fedora, who was at North Carolina, the football coach at the time. And we said, hey, coach, if we built this, would this be interesting to you? And he said, you know, that seems, uh, seems pretty promising. We'd love to work together on that concept. Um, so once he said yes, we were like, all right, this is something we want to try. And we got started with sports programs. Since then, we've grown to about 100 programs uh, across football, basketball, high school, college, NFL, you know, all levels of, of competition. And then um, we've expanded using that same technology into other high performance settings as well. And, and uh, so that's, that's how we got started. And it's been a, a really fun two year journey since then. So tell us what is unique about the platform? How is it built? And, and how would you describe what the unique proposition is of Learn to Win? So it's really built on a, a few simple principles. The biggest one I would say is the fact that people learn much better when they engage actively with a concept rather than passively. Uh, and it's a very simple idea, but it's really powerful when put into practice. Um, so if you think about uh, you know, something that you learned um, that you really became good at, that you mastered over time, um, you probably didn't just you know, listen to a bunch of lectures about it and then do nothing else. Uh, you likely engaged in it in some really intentional way involving practice, involving you know, trying it multiple times in different settings. You probably struggled a bit with it, and it was this challenging thing that you devoted your energy and effort towards. Uh, you probably had some sort of mentor or team that you were working with that, that were coaching you and guiding you. Uh, and so there's this process that uh, happens when you actively engage with something to try to master it. That's very different from a lot of the traditional methods of instruction, where you just you know, sit in the back of a room and listen to a, an hour-long lecture or have someone use a PowerPoint to walk you through a set of concepts. And so what we try to do is embed those principles of high-structure active learning you know, uh, just-in-time feedback with uh, maximizing time on task. So a lot of like educational jargon, um, metacognitive scaffolding would be another one that's really essential. Uh, and we just embed those into the design of the platform so that when someone is creating a lesson, uh, it automatically has these kind of principles built in. And, and we offer suggestions and, and tips of ways to structure the learning experience to be very active, engaging, and ultimately a lot more effective than kind of the traditional methods that folks devote to or default to um, when they're just teaching in the traditional ways that they do. So our hope is to make uh, the learning experience very active and very engaging. And through that, we think it, it makes it much more effective. So is that the cognitive theory that you've built this around? Yeah, that's, that's the foundation of it. Uh, I think if you read all of the educational research around ways that technology can enhance learning, say in, in college courses, the common threads, I would say, really revolve around shifting from passive learning to active learning, um, shifting from unstructured to uh, medium to high structure, um, and really trying to make it learner-centric rather than teacher-centric. So, um, if you combine all three of those ideas, then uh, instead of the the kind of typical methods that you'll see folks um, do in practice where 
you know, someone stands up in front of a room and spends an hour explaining a concept to a group of people who are taking notes. You know, th that method, even though it's the conventional way that education is done, the lecture style really doesn't work very well. And uh, there's opportunities to, to much further personalize the learning experience so that instead of, you know, an hour where everybody's doing the exact same thing of taking notes, you could do an, a quick assessment and see, all right, you know, this person needs uh, more instruction on this topic, whereas these people over here need more instruction on this topic. Let's give them uh, a personal, you know, 10 minute learning module on that particular topic. Let's have them uh, do some assessment questions the whole way as they're going through it to make sure that they're actually learning and mastering that concept rather than, you know, just having them take notes and then they go off into the world and who knows whether they've actually retained anything. And so it, it's, it's a few simple principles, I'd say, around shifting to more active, uh, more structured, uh, immediate personal feedback. Um, but when you actually implement that across your whole program of learning, um, those ideas uh, really transform, I think, the uh, amount of information that you're able to teach people, the speed that you can teach, the um, assurance of your team or, or your uh, individuals really knowing what that uh, information is and mastering it. And um, through that, it creates a profound shift in the whole learning culture of an organization. So you've built a platform that is fairly customizable across different sports teams about what you what those coaches want to teach. What, is there anything special about the technology? Do you use anything like AI or is it pretty straightforward? So the biggest things that we've focused on are making the user experience extremely easy and intuitive and um, simple. Uh, and uh, through that, we've able, been able to bring in some of these more complex principles around education and make it accessible to anyone, anywhere. Um, so you don't need any background in education or pedagogy. You don't need any background in cognitive science to be able to design really effective lessons within Learn to Win. Um, in the future, we would love to bring in more AI and machine learning. I've spoken to some of the folks at Stanford who have built algorithms around uh, personalization of learning. And as we grow our technology, we grow our team, that's a huge area we want to move into because um, the promise of uh, sort of a, a personalized data engine that can recommend content or lessons that will be ideal for an individual learner in an individual situation, I think is really promising and really exciting. And that's a space that we want to get to eventually. But right now, the, um, the big shift that we're, ta we're, we're taking our clients through is from, you know, passive uh, lecture-based methods of instruction or, you know, 300-page, three-ring binders where they have all of the information that someone needs to learn. And we're trying to bring that into Learn to Win, which I think is a huge leap forward. Um, and then once we have it all digitized and we have a, a really powerful data set behind it, then we can start to bring in some of the more sophisticated models um, around data analysis. I uh, would also love to move into kind of uh, virtual reality and mixed reality to um, supplement the mobile learning with uh, some immersive learning experiences since there's some good research showing that uh, these virtual reality experiences interspersed with uh, another mode of instruction can be really powerful for the overall learning experience. So in, in the future, I, I see us trying to get into all of these spaces, but um, the, the core thing that we focus on so far is making uh, some of these opaque educational principles um, really easy, intuitive, and just built into the platform so that any, any user anywhere can benefit from those advances in, in cognitive science. 
So you started with the University of North Carolina, and you said a hundred sports teams have signed up since. Is there anything specific that sports teams like about what you do? Why have they signed up? What what is the thing that you add value to for them? Yeah, there's been a huge surge in demand from sports teams, and I think it speaks to the fact that there was a big need there, and uh, the industry isn't. In in some ways, they're really forward thinking and really innovative, always trying to get you know a, a leg up. Um, but then there's also some kind of traditional ways of doing things that uh, have have persisted through the years. And so um, I think that what's really been profound is uh, we're, we're able to give teams back additional time, which is one of the you know most precious resources because. Instead of spending an hour in a meeting with your team, you can, um, you know, convey more information in a seven-minute learn-to-win module uh, that they do independently, which then gives them an hour back um, to to devote to, you know, weightlifting or additional practice time. Uh, and we also give them data that is a really valuable look into exactly what each player understands and what they don't. Uh, and so when they have that data, then they can make more informed assessments around the mental side of the game. Uh, you know, does the the starting safety that we have planned to start this weekend, do they actually know everything about the game plan? Are there things that we, we need to actually spend some more time focused on before they go out on the field? And through that, you're able to predict when a uh, mental error might happen on the field that could cost a, a big play or a touchdown or even be the difference in the game. And so if you're able to then get that information proactively before you see a mistake on the field, then uh, you can correct it and, and through that perform a lot better. So uh, I think all of those things together with, you know, I think our, our team has a, a strong background in sports and we also have a strong background in education. And uh, we probably know more about sports than most of the, the education tech folks. And we, we certainly know more about education tech than a lot of the, the sports folks. And so I think our team also is the right group to be able to solve this problem um, and uh, and, and through that, I think it's just hit a nerve and, um, we've been fortunate to work with some phenomenal coaches who then, uh, make introductions to some of their colleagues, which we, we really deeply appreciate. And, um, and so through that, uh, we've got, you know, great, great foothold within sports and hope that eventually it'll be, you know, an industry norm that, that every single program, um, across all levels of competition is using learn to win You've already alluded to this, and I know there's a lot of applications to this technology and the way that you've built this. I hear the military have been very enthusiastic about this too. What? Why have they been so enthusiastic about this product? Yeah, so about a year ago, we started conversations with some folks in the Air Force, specifically the Air Combat Command, about the system of pilot training that they're using. And they were facing a challenge that within maybe 15 or so years, there was going to be a real shortage of pilots. Uh, and that's because it takes a long time to train pilots. Um, the numbers of folks entering uh, kind of the pilot pipeline are declining. And yet the, the demand for pilots and, and the work of the, the Air Force is, is ever increasing. And so they faced a challenge that they needed to innovate to somehow produce more pilots faster, more cheaply. And the traditional methods that they were using uh, just weren't weren't cutting it. And so we went in and uh, got to work with some really innovative folks through an organization called AFWorks um, and some people in the training support squadron that 
just gave us a clear understanding of the problem. And we started prototyping tons of different concepts. We spoke to over 100 different um, folks in the Air Force from pilots to uh, instructors to commanders to maintainers, just everybody across the whole process. And through that, got a really clear understanding of, of the problem that they were grappling with and then carved out a particular area where we thought we could help um, within the formal training units, uh, in particular, working with the U2 and the E3 communities as uh, proof of concept and then um, expanding beyond there. So we've been on contract with the Air Force for the past nine months and um, are uh, really seeing tremendous progress uh, through using our technology. The, the feedback from pilots has been really strong uh, and we're excited to build out this part of the business and, and to contribute to the national security mission. Uh, and we think the, the innovation that's pushed within uh, the Air Force can help improve the products that we bring to sports teams. And likewise, the innovative ideas from high-performance sports teams can be very relevant to a fighter pilot squadron. Uh, and so, uh, and then there's also lots of other areas within the military that you know, need the same sort of high-performance training solution where a traditional learning management system or traditional approaches to teaching and learning just don't cut it. So we're about to start some work with the Navy uh, in conversations with the Marines and the Army. And eventually we hope this can be a, a really useful training platform across lots of different use cases within uh, the, the U.S. military. So sports, military, is there anything else that you'd like this to extend to? Any other areas you'd really like to focus on? Yeah, Peter, we are excited about the opportunities across lots of different spaces. You know, every organization in the, in the world needs to teach and learn. And I think there's relevant applications of these ideas for almost any setting. I think the, the sweet spot for us are places where the demands on an individual uh, and the demands on performance where the stakes are really, really high. And yet the tools that they're currently using to prepare are either inadequate or out of date. And so if you think about, say, some of the, the tragic situations uh, with the Boeing 737 crashes, the, the MAX 8, if, if you read the New York Times investigation of those situations, they said, yes, there, there was some hardware malfunctions that were happening, but the root cause of this really was an inadequate system of pilot training. That uh, These pilots uh, in, in the two tragic incidences had, had received really inadequate training and they didn't understand exactly what to do uh, in a situation where there seemed to be a malfunction of hardware. How do you take over from the software system? In what situation is it appropriate to do that? You know, what's your judgment on when that's right or wrong? And reading that story was, um, just really uh, heartbreaking, both because of what happened, but it, it also, um, you know, I, I thought, what if there was a system like Learn to Win in place where as soon as an update to that software was uh, created, then every single pilot would be pushed, you know, a very immersive, clear, interactive lesson on exactly what changed, what they need to do in response, what situations to activate it. They'd be assessed at the end to make sure that they understood it very clearly. Uh, and then, you know, without or prior to doing that lesson and uh, proving that they understood it, then, you know, they, they probably shouldn't have been able to uh, be in the cockpit. And so it, it, you know, that's one example, but I think there's hundreds of different applications of this type of technology where you have a high performance setting where a single mistake could be the loss of millions of dollars, the loss of life. Uh, and 
having better adaptive technology that can quickly respond to a, a change in, in software, a change in policy, a change in protocol, whatever it is, train your people on it so that they fully understand what they need to do and equip them um, to be able to perform when the moment necessitates it. So we're, we're in conversations with commercial airlines. We're uh, speaking with some energy companies. We're talking with some uh, transportation and trucking companies, construction. There's lots of different places where we think this technology will be uh, extraordinarily useful. Has the global pandemic had an impact on the business so far? It has. It it's interesting. It, it's in some ways accelerated the use of the product because we're all remote. And so you have to do all of your teaching and learning virtual. Um, but then it also has certainly had some negative impacts where budgets are a lot tighter. People are, um, I think, less able to open up conversations around new technologies or pushing innovation. They're, they're more focused on just maintaining the core of the business and, and making sure their people are taken care of. So uh, in I'd say in, in sports and with the military, we've seen a surge in usage, and and that's been really cool to see. We had um, one NFL program who, in their first month on their platform, they built a thousand forty-two lessons and quizzes through Learn to Win, which uh, I think was about a you know three x increase on any other team that we've ever seen you know in their first month, and and I think that speaks to just how essential uh, the need was during this moment where we can't do any in-person teaching and learning. And so everything has to be virtual. Um, similarly, we've seen acceleration in usage uh, from the military. Uh, we had a couple contracts that we were in early stage conversations that have been pushed along a lot faster because it's now a, an urgent need. Um, but then on the commercial side, I think it's really hard to start new conversations amid all this uncertainty. And so we, we certainly understand that People are, are dealing with the front and center problems that they've got uh, right now and will, will likely circle back in you know, three or six months um, to, to resume some of those conversations once there's a little more clarity around budgets and um, how things are going to play out economically. So this is a new business. This is a startup. So obviously there are a lot of challenges. What are your biggest challenges right now? It's funny. It's it's we're we're up to about twenty people, and um, you know the the systems you put in place when you're five people, you know, kind of need to update and change when when you hit twenty or thirty, and uh, the things that used to work no longer uh, work, and you have to you know the thing that was perfect for a year ago might be the exact wrong thing for now. So I feel like there's constantly so many things that we're grappling with as we grow and we're really fortunate to uh, by being at Stanford and um, being connected with with the investors we get to work with uh, we, we're able to talk to people who have been through all this a time or two before so um, they're able to mentor and coach us which has been just invaluable and in, uh, helping to accelerate our learning um, I'd say the biggest biggest challenges that we're facing right now um, really is, I think, strategically around, we've got this phenomenal opportunity in sports, and uh, we also are seeing this this early traction with the military. Uh, and then there's endless applications in, in the commercial sector. And uh, what's the appropriate balance between focus and breadth? Um, and how do we know which of these best, you know, which of these use cases are the most compelling and impactful use of Learn to Win. Which ones should we double down on? 
uh, versus which one should we maybe wait a little bit longer? Because I think, you know, we, we've seen in the past year really broad demand for the product and we've had some press coverage in ESPN and The Athletic and um, other places where people have, have come in and have been trying to find a way to use our product and, and use it with their particular organization. Um, but then once you start doing, you know, 20 different things in 20 different industries that are each a little bit different from each other, then you start to feel stretched very thin. Uh, and so I, I think the the question that's consistently on my mind is what's the appropriate amount of focus at this stage? And um, knowing that our aspiration eventually is to, you know, be useful in learning settings across all different markets, all different industries, all different situations, um, is the right way to get there by doing everything at once? Or is there uh, a need to really focus in precisely on our current customers and, and then eventually go towards these other areas? And, you know, where we've landed for now is let's just make sure that our uh, teams that we're working with in sports have a phenomenal experience. Let's make sure we deliver an amazing product um, for the um, folks in the military that we're working with so far. And once those are, are well established, then we can start to entertain other potential opportunities. But you know, as I say that, I, I don't know if that's the right call. It's 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 the thing that we feel best about. But um, who knows whether that's the right decision in hindsight? Is there one piece of technology or one problem that you could wish away? that might transform the space you're in and help you in your mission? Yeah, there's, I think within education broadly, um, I really feel, I, I feel strongly that the current systems of education, I'll say in the States, um, but I think there's threads of this that apply globally as well. The current system just really um, needs to be rethought from principles of equity and access. Uh, if you look at, say, higher ed in the U.S., um, it really is not a vehicle of upwards economic mobility. For, for some, it is. But it if you look at the data, Raj Chetty and his research at, at Stanford and at Harvard has been really powerful on this point. But you know, most of the institutions are attracting primarily folks who are already fairly well off economically. And um, it, it's most of the elite institutions really aren't bringing in enough people, um, from across, you know, the full, uh, economic spectra. And I think if we really thought hard about how can advances in technology enable us to bring very affordable, but also very effective, uh, methods of teaching and learning into every classroom across the country, into every college or university, no matter whether they're, uh, in Boston or they're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, uh, and can we uh, equip people with the knowledge, skills, and abilities to be able to thrive in a 21st century economy, um, you know, regardless of what institution they go to or regardless of their background? Uh, I think that would be just a profoundly important thing for our society and for our world, and I'm hopeful that some of the innovators, you know, I'd I, I love the work that's happening at Khan Academy and Coursera and Udacity, a lot of these players that are taking education and putting it online and making it accessible uh, to the world. Some of the institutions like Western Governors or Southern New Hampshire University or um, Arizona State, I have a ton of admiration for the work that they're doing um, to create a, a cheaper and a better alternative to a lot of traditional education. Um, but I think as a 
as a country, we need to find ways that we can create more equal opportunity for folks coming from um, kind of non-traditional backgrounds or uh, economically underrepresented areas. And, um, and I think, you know, if, if that's a problem that I can contribute to solving through the course of my career, then I'll feel uh, just really thankful to have had that opportunity to, to make an impact in that way. So we've talked a little bit about that on that note. What are your dreams for Learn to Win? So my hope is that we'll build a platform that really can improve the ways that people teach and learn in all different settings. And uh, if you think about what distinguishes, say, uh, Tom Brady, one of the greats um, in the NFL, uh, from you know a very athletic quarterback who doesn't quite make that transition, I think uh, you know some of it has to do with physical ability, but I think a lot of it has to do with their mental ability. And, and what if every player in the country could teach themselves in the same way that, that a Tom Brady or a Peyton Manning, you know, educates themselves as far as how they analyze film and they learn the playbook and they're really a student of the game. Um, and I think that same idea of like what distinguishes the really, really high performers from um, folks who don't quite make it and, and don't make the cut or don't, graduate on time or don't get the job or the promotion. I think a lot of it boils down to your ability to direct your own learning. And uh, a lot of the traditional methods of education, the traditional uh, ways of training within organizations um, don't uh, really don't support the individual in a way that maximizes their potential. Um, and, and so just to, to tell one quick story, I, when I was at the University of North Carolina, had the opportunity to work with some really phenomenal professors to redesign the ways that their classes were taught to leverage these active learning technologies in their classroom. And then we did research around the impact on learning outcomes for all the students in the class. And uh, the first professor that I worked with, Dr. Rita Balaban, um, found that she was able to uh, improve the final exam scores for, for all students, but in particular students who had had previously struggled, whether it's first-generation college students or underrepresented minority students, saw a disproportionate improvement in outcomes in that class. And I think a big part of that was that we were making the the learning experience in the classroom really uh, supportive, very engaging, um, and and as I said, you know, high structure. And uh, that finding showed that these principles really are better for everyone, but in particular, they're disproportionately beneficial for students who may uh, be coming in a little bit less academically prepared or, or with um, fewer supports around them in their home or in their community. Um, and as a result of that, you know, these approaches had a huge impact. And so that's kind of my vision of finding ways to, to translate those principles and that impact into every different space where you know, one's, one's capacity to grow and to learn and to perform isn't limited by, you know, the, the resources that they have or the, um, you know, place that they grew up, um, but instead that everyone is really um, pushed and, and supported to, to maximize their potential and perform the very best that they can um, by kind of democratizing access to these, these approaches and these tools that um, traditionally haven't you know, reached uh, everyone in an equal way. You mentioned Southern New Hampshire University and mm -hmm. Arizona State. Are there any other universities or products like yours that you admire that you'd 
you think are making a positive difference in the education space? Yeah, well, I, I have to give a shout out to the African Leadership University. I, I spent three years working with Fred Swanaker there, and he's the, the founder of the organization, and they're on a, a really ambitious mission to um, transform education throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and, and I think really now they're thinking about globally, how, how can they build a new model of education and um, really admire the work that's going on there. They both have leveraged technology in some really uh, amazing ways to make education more affordable and accessible. And uh, they also have rethought a little bit the purpose or, or to a great, great extent, the purpose of education. So instead of taking the traditional, you know, um, I guess the traditional thinking of, well, we just need to teach a couple science classes and a, a couple humanities classes and a couple history classes. And then all of a sudden through taking all of that, you're, uh, you know, well-educated with everything you need to know. They've, they've really challenged that thinking and said, what does it take for a leader to be transformative in the 21st century? What are the um, character traits and the skills and the abilities that, uh, you know, distinguish a, a Nelson Mandela or a Grasa Michelle or a Martin Luther King uh, or a Bill Gates? Uh, and what are those um, skills and abilities and, and what are the experiences that someone needs to have to cultivate their character in, in a certain way and then work backwards from that goal? Uh, and through that, the curriculum and the whole university experience is reimagined in the lens of ethical and actually entrepreneurial leadership. Um, and, uh, I think using that as a North star in many ways, um, I find to be, you know, really, uh, compelling and, and the students who have come out of that institution are, are just, uh, really remarkable individuals and some of the people I have the most admiration for in the world. Um, so that's, that's one that I would really hold up as, as a example of what education could be if we rethought it from the ground up. And I think there's a lot that that American institutions can learn from um, folks like uh, the African Leadership University and, and others around the world who um, really are pushing amazing innovation in, um, you know, in places that, that certainly need it. Obviously, you don't know what the future holds, but what would you say the future of education will look like? Well, I think I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I think from the lens of technology, there's ways that technology can dramatically expand access and choice and personalization. Um, and so there's there's an analogy that's not perfect, but if you think about um, kind of what, what the music industry went through in its transformation from kind of uh, record stores and distributing, you know, records and albums from a physical location to then shifting to an online streaming medium um, to then the advent of iTunes and the ability to buy singles to then now we have Spotify where, you know, you subscribe and you get access to all the world's, not, not really all the world's music, but a lot of music uh, with, with a single subscription. I think we'll see a similar shift in education. I think right now, uh, at least in higher ed, we're still kind of in the like record store part of uh, the, I guess, the, the life cycle of innovation. And, uh, you know, people have to go to a, you know, a UNC or a UT uh, to buy these bundled full packages of an economics degree. And with that come all of these different additional things like 
the, you know, the core curriculum and, uh, you know, mentorship from expert faculty and uh, attendance of sporting events. And it's kind of all these different goods and services that are all bundled into, into one. And um, I think we'll start to see both an unbundling of education where you can, you know, just get more of the academic content if you wanted, or you can um, go places that are, are more geared towards career advancement and technical skill development, like some of the, the boot camps that we're seeing popping up. Um, and through that unbundling, uh, as well as through some of the technical innovations, you'll then get to a place that's more like, you know, an iTunes or a Spotify of education, where there's much greater access, much greater personalization, um, the sort of technical frictions aren't there. Uh, and through that, we can eventually reach a place, I hope, where, um, you know, from from the earliest days in one's life, they're accessing the very best education from anywhere in the world uh, that can propel them towards whatever their dreams are. And that um, no longer will it be the case that, you know, only a small fraction of the world's population are able to access the best in education, but instead it'll be something that um, is really at, at anyone's fingertips. And um, I think we've got a, a really long way to go. I, I, I certainly don't think that this is a problem that just gets solved by, you know, Silicon Valley folks dreaming up technology. There's a lot of really important work to be done within policy, uh, within institution building, within, you know, local communities to um, really try to, to realize that sort of vision of, of equitable access to the best education in the world. Um, but, but I do think eventually we'll get there and I'm really excited for what, what that'll mean for the world when that does happen. Are there any resources or things that people can read that you've spoken about today that you could, uh, you could mention to our listeners? Sure. Yeah. I really recommend the work of Sal Khan. So he's the founder of Khan Academy. He's got some Ted talks on education and a lot of these ideas I've been talking about were, were inspired by his work. Um, he's got a book, The One World Schoolhouse, that I think is is a, a great primer and um, what education could be if we leverage technology in the right way. Um, another documentary I really recommend is called Most Likely to Succeed, and that um, chronicles uh, kind of the history of education in the U.S. and how we ended up with a system that, you know, the, the founding curriculum for American K-12 education uh, it's, I think, about 128 or 29 years old, and it basically hasn't been updated in that time. You know, that's a, a major oversimplification, but a lot of the fundamentals of you're going to take geometry in eighth grade and you're going to take algebra two in ninth grade. And, uh, you know, that all was sort of laid out over 100 years ago and, and stays with us today. Um, so most likely, most likely to succeed is a really good one. Um, and then... Uh, I would say from the, the college uh, reform angle, there's a book um, called, uh, I think it's College Unbundled by Jeff Salingo or something like that, but uh, just it speaks about the unbundling of education and the work of Jeff Salingo and Michael Horn is, um, is really uh, forward thinking on a lot of that. So if that's of particular interest, then then really interested in, in that. And then I also encourage people to go and watch Prez Honecker's TED Talk about the vision for ALU. Uh, it's a it's a pretty inspiring um, thing that, you know, I, I devoted three years of my life to it. So I, I certainly I am a huge fan of, of his work and what, what they're trying to do. Is there a thought that you want to leave our listeners with today? Yeah, maybe two things. I think one... Um, 
there's uh, a reflection that I do often where I think about the things that I've learned in my life. Um, how did I learn them? And what, what were the steps in helping me to become either good at that thing or to, to realize I was bad at other things? Uh, and I think if you pick something that, that you were really good at um, and that you're really proud of, whether it's a, a skill or a, you know interpersonal trait or anything else, and then start to think, how did I actually become good at that? Like, what were the steps in that process? Um, and as you kind of analyze that, that'll give you, I think, an interesting lens into how, at least in your experience, you have developed something that you're proud of and that you're, um, you think is an important skill or trait. Uh, and then once you map out what that experience was like, I'd encourage people to compare it to how we traditionally educate folks, especially in kind of K-12 education. Um, and to what extent are the same principles present and to what extent are they very different? Um, and I, I think my suspicion is that you'll, you'll find that there's a lot of differences between how you feel that you've learned something that, uh, is authentic and real and practical and, and relevant to you, um, versus some of the more kind of factory model ways that we educate, um, in, in a classroom, uh, and, and I'm curious to see where that thought uh, leads people to, um, because uh, at least for me, it it prompted a lot of thinking, man, there, there's really a better way to do a lot of these things. And how might we do it if we kind of imagined what's possible? So I just invite people to to go through that thought exercise and then start to imagine what could be possible. Andrew Powell, really appreciate your thoughts. You've uh, left us a lot to think about. Uh, thank you for taking the time. Thanks so much, Peter. It's been fun. My guest today was Andrew Powell from Learn to Win. If you want to find out more about Andrew or about Learn to Win, go to learntowin.us. Thanks for listening. Subscribe, tell your friends. See you next time.